Hello, and welcome to Shoot the Shit, a podcast about buggy. The idea for this podcast came about like so many other great ideas in the history of Carnegie Mellon University. It was late one night at William Penn Tavern, and a group of us were sitting around talking about buggy and how many great characters and stories there were in the sport. And wouldn't it be great if we could record those stories and put them out and share them with the community? Well, this is an attempt to do just that. My name is Will Weiner, and I'm going to be your host. I've had the privilege of interviewing some of the biggest movers, shakers, and behind-the-scenes characters who have shaped Buggy into what it is today. So I ask that you sit back, relax, and enjoy as we shoot the shit. They say that SDC stands for Student Dormitory Council, but more recently in Buggy, it might mean sweepstakes dominant champions because that's what they've been over the past decade. They have been the New York Yankees, the New England Patriots, the Chicago Bulls, really in a class of their own. Uh, The men have won eight race days in a row. That is a record. And the women have 10 of the last 13. Uh, But it wasn't always like this. As recently as 2008, 2009, they were scraping their way up to the top, trying to knock off a Pika dynasty. Uh, So we sit down from some alums that year talking about what they had to do to really establish this culture of greatness. And then we fast forward and talk to some other alums from 2017 where they broke their own course record set back in 2009. Uh, We ask about, you know, how do they maintain such quality so consistently? Uh, Is it lonely at the top? Do they want SDC to keep winning forever and ever and ever? And honestly, we have a lot of fun. I think you're going to enjoy this one. So let's go ahead and meet this week's guests from SDC. I'm Jeremy Tuttle. I was chairman of SDC in uh, race day 2008 and 2009. I graduated 2010. Hey, I'm Michelle Mirabella. I was the head driver for SDC from 2006 to 2010. I'm uh, Jordan Clins. I was push captain for SDC for race day 2013 and 14, uh, and I raced from 2012 through 2016. Hey, I'm Camilla. I was a head mechanic for SDC race day of 2017, and I was the sweepstakes chair race day of 2018. I'm Annie. I was head driver for SDC 2016 through 2018. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. I'm really excited uh, to have this one here. I I think if we could actually start a a little more with, with the old timers, if I may. Calling you that. Um, <laughs> a little bit of background on. All right, know, let's sort of, calm down. Let's calm down with that. Our, hey, you know, uh, should hear what I called some of the other guys. We heard, um, there's no uh, no uh, FCC guidelines on this, which is very freeing compared to the, <laughs> the other broadcast, uh, for better or for worse. Um, but to kind of a little bit of background into SDC sort of before, you know, you, you kind of really climbed on top in the late uh, aughts there, uh, kind of what was the history of the organ sort of buggy within that? So it's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, SDC buggy has been around for a very, very long time, right? It started out men's dormitory council. Um, and then, you know, student dormitory council sort of, floated around doing buggy, but not really competing for decades. And then around 1999 or 2000, there were a few guys sort of joined the team, uh, eventually became chairman or head mechanics. 
uh, and sort of saw the potential of what it could be. Uh, one of them was telling me that before he was in charge, it was sort of like, you know, it was a great team mentality. They wanted to win, but they didn't exactly know how. And the, the, this group of guys sort of established this new culture of basically trying to figure out how to win. There was a lot of ripping up the old technology and trying to figure out new stuff, a lot of like critical thinking, intentional choices, and they, they really just started taking themselves seriously. So that, that was around like 1999, 2000. And then they, they actually won women's in 2000, which I think was the first real big like splash that STC had made in, in Jeremy, a while. And Jeremy, what buggy was that? Just that was Rage, mention. actually. That was <laughs> that was Rage. Rage's just first a shout one. Rage out to was, Rage. Uh, yeah, Rage was built in '96. Rage has been rolling forever, and I don't know, could still pop up here and there, I imagine. But yeah, I guess they uh, they were rolling on pneumatics back then. I was told they were heated to within an inch of failure, which is kind of what you had to do back then. <laughs> um, and they had some. I, I think they had some women from the track team, so they. You know, they, they had a really good year there. And then, like, between 2000 and 2008, I guess, there was just a lot of advancement, a lot of trial and error, a lot of mistakes were made. What was it? 2004, actually. That was Psychosis's first race day, rolling as the A-team buggy. Psychosis ended up being the one that we broke the 20-year-old record with in 2008. Okay, so 2004, Psychosis was rolling... Uh, instead of having like a solid axle, it was rolling on a, like a suspension for the rear, rear wheels and truck weekend, uh, mechanic actually dropped the buggy while it was loaded. The suspension was damaged. They didn't know the extent to which it was damaged and kind of just went with it. Uh, and it fell off on race day. I mean, I think, I think we've all gone to YouTube and seen the video. You just go to YouTube for shoot carnage. It's like the first thing that comes up. Psychosis just like the wheel falls off and does this like awful screech and spin. And it was not good, but they were like, they were fast. They were really fast then, you know, and we had the potential to be uh, competitive at that point, but it didn't really manifest itself, obviously, because uh, they didn't finish the race. And then like 2005, 2006, we kind of got to the like 210, 209 range, which right about then was competitive, but at the same time, Pika sort of advanced to like the, the 207 range. Uh, for for their men's time, so like they were just a step ahead. And then 2007, Michelle, do you remember 2007? I do remember 2007. I'd also like to correct the record. I drove from 2006 to 2010, but I was head driver starting in 2007. <laughs> so sorry, just correcting the record. I do remember 2007. Is there something you'd like me to talk about specifically? Yeah, the race. I feel like that's your story. So um, let's get into the race. One thing I am just curious about kind of with that table set, th there was the win in, in 2000 and then kind of from 2000 to that 2007 timeline, a lot of third places right outside the top 10 on both the men's mm -hmm. and side. And you talked about, right, there's trial and error, trying to figure things out. Uh, but I am kind of curious on the personal level for the both of you, what drew you to the SDC team in kind of the way that they weren't necessarily the, the top squad, but what was it that made them so interesting to you and, and how did you get involved? Oh, well, I was recruited by another driver. So um, that was a really good idea. That was a really good tactic um, 
to send out another woman that was just a year older than me to kind of talk to me about the team. And I honestly felt extremely welcomed immediately. I was pretty disarmed by the whole thing, actually. They talked to me, like she talked to me about the opportunity. Uh, They took me out to eat with another driver and I immediately started hitting it off with them. And I felt really comfortable as a first year student Uh, and I think it was August, September, I think it was September, I really felt like this could become a community for me. It, I felt special. People wanted to be my friend, which is really important for a first year student when you're entering university. So um, the team at the time did a really good job in making me feel extremely welcomed. I remember the first time they brought me back to um, the the buggy room, Uh they actually had written my name, like, welcome Michelle on a whiteboard. And then afterwards told me they kind of doubted whether or not that was a good idea. They thought like, oh no, maybe that's a little bit creepy, but I actually loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, honestly, just the way they brought, they went about bringing me into the fold felt really good. Like I immediately felt like I had a circle of friends and that was really important for my transition, honestly, to college. Totally. And and, and with it, (laughs) had you attended any interest meetings or were they sort of like, here's a short person, Uh, let's go recruit? To, to be a um, bit crass. I actually got recruited at Emerging Leaders. They used to do it in the first semester. Uh-huh. Um, so the driver I'm referring to was um, also at Emerging Leaders. So she recruited me there. Actually, when I was a senior and I went to visit Carnegie Mellon, I was on a campus tour and the campus tour guide was like, actually, they were talking about buggy. You would be the perfect size for one of those <laughs> buggy drivers. And me and my mom were like, I would never do that. We were both like, no way. There's no way she would do that. And then here I am talking about it many right. years later. I absolutely had you done did it. So anything remotely similar? Uh, no, this is this whole thing is extremely uncharacteristic of the first 18 years of my life. So um, <laughs> it's pretty hilarious, honestly. My whole family was like, "What is she doing?" So um, it, it was it was great. It really broke me out of my uh, out of my shell in a lot I, of I ways. I still remember. When I first met you, Michelle, because we both joined the team about the same time. Yeah. The best way to describe Michelle as an early freshman was <laughs> delicate, which is <laughs> bizarre now because it's so far from who you are. Yeah, it was really important for my personal development being a part of this team and oh, having yeah. this experience. I feel like that's something I've seen happen a lot, too. I mean, I, I see it with SDC people. I'm, I'm sure it happens in other places, too. But, like, freshmen coming in who are just, like, meek and quiet and unsure of themselves. And then, you know, three, four years down the line, it's like, holy shit, they are running the show. Like, I did right. not expect this. <laughs> yeah. What, what about you, Jeremy? What, what, what drew you to SDC? Um... I mean, you can cut this part out, but it, it honestly, it was. Um, but we'll talk about something else. So, <laughs> um, I probably yeah, please. That. So, You're gonna so cut bad. that. We're You're gonna, gonna cut, cut that. that. What? Um, Will, it's no, getting I, cut. I, I wanted, I wanted to do buggy from the time that I wanted to go to CMU, basically. Um, and you know, going in. It was, what 2006 like we didn't have the BAA site with all the stats and everything nobody's going on there and looking like oh you know which team was doing the best like you walk around you see who seems interesting honestly early early on I I thought fringe seems pretty cool with their you know multicolored buggies and stuff but then I got to talking to uh, some SDC people and it's like 
like they hadn't won they hadn't won men's ever and they hadn't won women's in a long time but you could sort of see that like they knew that they could and that was like just just the way that the team took themselves seriously and there was just like there was like a fire there you know like they wanted it they wanted it really bad and they knew that they could do it uh, and that was that was incredibly motivating um it was like i actually i i looked at my andrew id email like way back right before it expired after graduating and like my first scc work session was like august 30th of freshman year or something so like oh wow i jumped into that yeah i jumped into that wow. real fast I, I don't know just like something something clicked there was there was a passion there yeah. it was something to be a part of it felt like it was something to be a part yeah. of my experience oh, yeah. is very different <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, Annie, I, I do actually really want to contrast. I want to get a little bit more in these early years, but I want to pick up on there, uh, Jeremy, sort of that that passion, right? And, and both of you got involved immediately, uh, but maybe just dive a little bit more into that energy and sort of those first couple years, you're on the team putting it together. What was that like? What was sort of the, you know, I, I talked with the the spirit crew from the late 80s, you know, they had the three-year plan where they said, we're going to win in three years. Um, That's absurd. Was it that no one detailed? Could ever that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it was, you, you know what the attitude in SBC really felt like? It felt like we should have won already. But, you know, in 2004, we spun out. And in 2005 and six, like, we got to the, the level where we should be winning. But, you know, Pika got a few seconds faster. And, then 2007, two, 2007, that was my freshman year race day. That was a, a hot mess um, on the men's side. We, we did win women's actually in 2007. We put up an excellent mm-hmm. women's team um, and we won it was, that. It was scrappy though. Like, it, it was scrappy. You know, the, the number of mechanics was low. Uh, you know, you just, like you just five, got it done. You know, we it was weren't not a as machine. deep. In terms of pushers, it was it was not a machine, although very you know unsurprisingly so regimented. I'm sure nobody's surprised by that. It still was then. And, and I guess within that too, probably to, to contrast with later, you know, you both shared your own recruitment stories, but you know, what was the landscape like? Was it harder getting people involved? You know, were you kind of looking for, you know, the particularly kind of hungry people, or like as you were building up the team and you know, kind of getting those wins and breaking through. What was your pitch? Who are the people you're trying to pull in? People that were dedicated. Yeah. People that were willing to put in the time um, that would contribute hopefully positively to the community uh, of the team. I think that was something that Jeremy and I were really big on as we um, became leaders in the organization. Yeah, honestly, like being able to give your time and kind of your spirit to it. And it was something bigger than just competing. At least it was for me. It was Mm -hmm. a community of friendship. It still is, honestly. Let's talk a little bit about 2007. 2007, yeah, women's time was great. I feel like like the women's time was excellent and we won and we were excited about that. We were very excited about that. But the men's story, at least, from our side was just full of bad drama. I feel like it's Michelle's story though. 
Well, it's yeah, also yeah. Mira, it's also Mira's story and the whole team's story. But um, on day one, um, we had to we had to sub in for for day two. The men's team made it to the finals, but not with the buggy, and also not with our A team driver who deserved to be driving that on finals. So um, I was actually subbed in to drive men's A finals. Um, but I guess it was technically our men's B team. Yeah, because um, A team DQ'd. A team DQ'd, so it was our B team buggy with our C team driver, who was me. And we went up against Pika A, right? No, uh, we were up against Pika B. We, oh, shit. I remember that but one. It, yeah, we were up it, against Pika B. Looking at the standings, okay. I just pulled it up. I don't have an encyclopedia buggy memory, but Buggy Alumni Association surely does. Uh, Pika <laughs> A won with a 207.39, then it was Fringe A 210. Then Pika B was a 212.4. Oh, SDC right. B was a 212.5. So it was a tenth of a second yes, that's uh, difference it. there. Yeah. We did, we did think that we were going to beat them, but we unfortunately didn't. Um, we did yeah. slower in the free roll than expected. Till two um, missed the shove, if we're yeah. being frank. But that was definitely a baptism by fire, if I might say, for me. Sure. Uh, <laughs> they were like, you ready to go fast? And I was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> What so, is that like kind of on, on race day where you just like, okay, it's my time or, you know, are there nerves involved or. Well, I'm sure Annie can talk about this too, but uh, there are no time for nerves. You, if, if you allow the nerves to get in the way, that's going to affect whether or not you succeed. Um, so I think that that's kind of part of cultivating sort of a, a strong a discipline as a driver, like just being able to focus on the moment and not allow yourself to sort of think about, you know, what could happen. You can, you only have to visualize what success looks like. Cool. So, so kind of running off of that, right. There was a really nice women's time, men, a little bit more of a hot <laughs> mess kind of in the following years. What did that race day performance do? Cause is at that point, it looks like women, you won three times in a row. And I assume you were driving those for the last couple of years, Michelle. Um, yeah. But kind of on the on the men's side, right next year, you end up getting second place. What sort of was that transition, and how did you take kind of the lessons of being so close? You know, even in in '08, right, you were 0.15 seconds behind Pika A. Well, um, it's sort of in the finals. What was that? Yes, correct. <laughs> um, yeah, you beat them. Just to be on, clear, fair. We, we did break the we did break the spirit record first. Let's make that clear. We broke that record on day one, and they they followed us um, and right. and broke our record again on day two. But I, I guess within that, I'm sort of interested. What was that year between oh seven oh eight like? Because that is a obviously there are kind of a couple gaffes there. Did you change your approach at all to race day, or what was it like preparing for that? And then also, what was kind of the drama of that race day with? the record that was, and then, you know, the victory that wasn't. Well, the gaff was extremely diagnosable. Our women performed extremely well and continue to perform extremely well over the recent history of the organization. So I think that actually speaks volumes as to what the mechanic side of the house is capable of doing in terms of the gaffes on the men's side and that men's race in 2007. That was diagnosable. So moving forward, I mean, I'm sure Jeremy could talk more about this, but we kind of continued the path forward that had already been in development, strongly in development, and that clearly was executed well on the women's side. Yeah, I mean, we stopped screwing up is, is basically <laughs> it. 
um, I always say race day is won by the team that screws up the least. Um, and there were a lot of years like it, like 2008 felt like, you know, getting that that 205 and then the 204 felt like what we always should have been able to do. Like that was the mentality in SCC at that point. You know, it was like, we can do this. We can go faster than anybody else has. We know we have this potential. Um, you know, we've just been unlucky for <laughs> six or seven years or, or whatever. Um, we also recruited but, some excellent pushers, too, in, excellent pushers. in between um, 2007 and 2008, at least on the yeah, and there was there was sort of a change in culture too there do you remember that michelle with like the um just the way that we would like sort out our push teams where like you know like i was saying before um you know or early on uh it's it's a culture change right um and we got to the point where it's like okay well we're putting people on a team who are like super committed to the team yes. but aren't the fastest people and we can't do that if we're ready to to start trying to win so but, there, but there was also, a lot of tension in, in like our heads meeting yeah but also there was a lot of focus on you know people can't just be a one one stop show right. up mercenaries like, yeah yeah well yeah. that was another problem we were having too right like we'd have people show up on truck weekend be like oh yeah this is somebody's friend he's on the football team he's fast he's gonna push on race day like well, yeah, that, that, that wasn't that really happening either. anymore yeah yeah we were right, like yeah, that's, that's not the community we're looking to build here right a hard line to straddle there where it's like okay we know these fast people they want to show up for just like a weekend of practice and then race and we have to tell them no you can't do that like we need more from you um, and at the same time, we have to tell the people who are committed and want to show up all year, hey, like, you're great. We love having you here, but you're going to push C team because you're slower. And like, it's th those are hard conversations to have on both sides. And it's somehow we we made that work um, in, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, two, 2008 was just an excellent race. I mean, we were sad that we lost, but it was it was just an incredible race you know pika put up an, an amazing time they executed perfectly we executed pretty much perfectly too um but then like we were <laughs> we we were ready for the win going into 2009 i think and right. you win in the transitions and that's that's why you have to have people also um committed to the team and practicing and things like that so that was i think exactly. also something that came out of that year like okay you know now we're talking about parts of seconds right so um, people need to be committed to the practice as well. Right. And I, I would imagine, I guess, a lot of that increased commitment was coming so close for a few years. I'd imagine probably somewhat leadership too of just balancing all that. Um, but it's, it's kind of tricky and interesting to see how the different teams kind of work with that organizational discipline. Um, you know, talking with Bordick recently about Pika and, you know, the militaristic kind of structure they had talking with those spirit guys from the eighties and the way it was kind of this more free form kind of improvisational communal spirit that kind of put them together. I'm not sure if you all were kind of more in the middle in terms of getting everyone together or as this took form and you're saying, no, you have to be here every week. Uh, this is your station, blah, blah, blah. Was, did that kind of just come 
naturally or, you know, what was the, you talked, you said it kind of fell into place. Um, was it just because everybody was kind of grasping we really could do something special or why do you think that fell into place? I, I feel like, I feel like that was, an, the, that was the, a negotiation over time and a culture shift. It was a lot to get some people to swallow it. Um, but it sort of became a member of this team. You were a member of this family. Like there are base expectations that you have to live up to, like come out to practice, do, you know, do your part. Um, I mean, we also had like like, events together and like we made efforts to make sure that like we knew people who were on the team, right? Like drivers knew their pushers and. We were sort of building a a family really. I I feel like I, I I don't know if it's cheesy to say that, but like I really felt like it was important for me as chairman to know every single one of our pushers. Yeah. And you know, when fall came around to, as I'm wandering around campus and I see somebody who pushed for us, be like, Hey, you're, you're coming out to rolls this semester, right? You're coming out. Like, I, I want to see you there <laughs> in just in, in like a, a positive friendly, like you are my friend and I, I want to do this activity with you sort of way, which to a lot of pushers for whatever reason was confusing. I don't know if that's like how we conducted ourselves or how we presented like the notion of, of being on the team, but like we get emails from people be, being like, Hey, um, I pushed for you last year. Like, can I try out again this year? And I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, just, just come, like, we want right. you here. You're like, you're on the team. That's not how this works. Great. So, right. You have 2008 all in all still a, a great year. Right. Uh, so let, mm-hmm. let's jump up to 2009, right? Things are coming together. The culture is getting stronger. Obviously we know the results. Uh, but take me a little bit through that race day. What was it like? Did you know? How much of a sense did you have that you would shatter kind of on, on both ends? Um, well, I feel like it can't be overlooked that that's the year that Malice debuted. Mm-hmm. So I think Back. there was a lot of energy around this new buggy, to be totally honest. So there there was a lot. There was a lot of buzz about that. And I think a lot of, at least I was feeling vibes like something big's gonna happen like this is a big deal um we're we're so close and now we have this buggy it's in our reach we can get this with malice obviously still an amazing buggy what was it about it that that kind of gave you all that sense but beyond just it being new what sort of were the the elements that you thought would let you go over the edge well i'm not gonna talk about that (laughs) fair enough as a journalist i am uh obligated to try uh, <laughs> I mean, in, in a general sense, though, I can I can say like you know, like I was saying, the the program that we're running sort of started around 2000, and like there were ideas, and those ideas were expressed through the builds in addiction and psychosis, and you know, we were kind of experimenting and and refining these concepts of how to build a buggy, and all of that culminated in malice which like on top of having what well, I, I don't know I, I mean I'm gonna talk up my own buggy like on top of having the best of what we could offer in theory I think that it was really really well crafted it is like that that buggy has excellent craftsmanship um it was really well built it, it does exactly what it was designed to do yeah, so t- then take me a little bit more through the day of. 
I can tell you a story from Truck Weekends. I think sure. this is really interesting. Um, I'm, that was the year I think that we were starting to use a new timing system. I think Truck Weekend, some members of the then very fledgling Buggy Alumni Association were like setting it up and testing it out. And they actually, you know, did a test time when we were rolling Malice. Um, with our men's A pushers, truck weekend, you know, are basically our, our last big practice. And it comes across the finish line and they've got the big clock there, you know, just yeah. like on race day. And the clock says 207. And these guys are looking at each other like, the hell? Like, this is truck weekend. I look down at my stopwatch. It's like a low 206. I look at them. I say, your, your clock's slow. And They're it like, was. We knew, I mean, yeah. we, we were basically like, we, we were breaking the 20 year old record during practice, is, is what I'm saying right. there, you know? Right. No, that's so we were we were ready. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting, right? Because at that point you were still in many ways, I think on the on the women's side had pretty well established, you know, some dominance a couple of years in a row, but you know, on the men's side had not yet put it together. And I think even on, on the women's side weren't yet seen as a dynasty, right? So, you know, were you it sounded like internally you were confident about setting those records, but kind of how did the campus take it? How did the budgie, buggy community take it? Well, I don't, I don't want to indicate that we were overly confident. I think that we knew that it was within our reach and that we had to get it all right. So that was sort of the energy going into the day. Like it's there for us, mm-hmm. but we have to line it all up. Everybody has to do everything they have to do correctly. So um, that was a lot of pressure. I mean, how did the campus take it? I don't know. I was stuck in the buggy. But <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, think, I don't know. I mean, like, because, you know, obviously Pika had hit their uh, seven wins in a row streak the year prior. And I'm sure it's exactly how it is right now when people think about SCC, like most of campus wanted to see somebody else win for a change, right? Yeah. So, and it, 2009 was just an excellent year of racing. You go look like, we had our fastest time. Um, Pika did well. Fringe put up their fastest time up until that point. I think Segep did. I think Spirit mm, had one yeah. of their fastest times in a lot of years. Like it was just excellent. Yeah, excellent Spirit racing. was sixth place with a two ten point four five. Everyone else was sub two ten. I don't. I don't think you get sixth place with a two ten. Like that's that's a third place time now. Even like right. two thousand nine was just so fast. Yeah, I've been second place last year. I mean, granted. Yeah. Something I, I like you mentioned right there, Michelle, right? You said, oh, how did I know I was in the buggy? How much of a sense do you have, Annie, also interested in, in your thoughts here, when you're actually in the buggy, oh, this race is going really well, when, you know, it is a second difference and you're focusing on so much in there. How do you have a sense when you're actually in the run, like this could be it, this could be a record? I definitely did not. No, <laughs> it's fast, it's fast, it's just, it's fast. And either you nail the shoot or you don't. So I think that's a big moment. Like if you nail the shoot, I at least would always know coming out of the shoot if that was the best I could have done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a big deal coming into the back hills, knowing like I laid it all out there and I gave them everything they needed and now they just need to bring it home. So I would say that I was aware of, but um, I didn't know until drops when people start to yell at you information <laughs> so that you know right. what's kind of going on. But I definitely knew that the execution was strong, like everything was going right. I guess for me, I sort of 
well, especially our first record, it being like my sophomore year. And a lot of people were talking about the record, but like a lot of people on my team, I think were trying to ground me. So um, like one person really <laughs> so kept telling me that we were going to lose. <laughs> so my main objective was not to lose. Like I kept thinking someone was going to miss the push bar or like I was going to spin or like choke or something. So coming out of the race, I was just concerned that our time wasn't good enough. Like it mm. felt fast to me, but I was also like jumping on adrenaline. So like anything mm. could have been true, you know? Yeah. And, um, um, especially with like the men's race, a lot of things look different rolling at noon. So like things felt so different as it was that I didn't really have a ground to know how we did. Um, so I thought we lost or had gotten disqualified and I'm screaming inside this buggy and I can't get out and I don't know what's happening. And I can hear Will's voice just like shouting on the thing. And I'm like, <laughs> what does this mean? And then apparently they'd all decided not to tell me because. Any, this is why in later years, I would always tell you your time as you're going to drop. Yeah. So Jordan did it that year. <laughs> like for the record well, time, was... everyone decided not to tell me. Jordan didn't get the memo. He comes up and says it. They're like, what if it was a DQ and Jordan just ruined everything <laughs> for this small child? Yeah, you um, got to know. You need your information. Jeez. It was dramatic. Yeah. yeah. But no, I had no idea. I never, that wasn't even on my radar that like in 2016, at least. Right. Well, I mean, it's one of those things now that I'm really thinking about it. Like, I feel like there's really, right, this small um, group of people who are drivers, no no pun intended, right? But there's no, sorry, uh, way <laughs> to really understand what it's like in there and, you know, just stopping and pausing for a second and to think of all the stimuli and you're in, right, this tiny little tube, you know, how you process all that information is, is just interesting, so... And and to kind of segue to to y'all's years, I appreciate your your patience. Uh, some of the more recent SDC people, right? We kind of got this initial upper um, kind of growth of the organization. These underdogs, the discipline gets there. They break the record. Fast forward a few years, and, and sort of like you were about to say earlier, your approach with the organization is very different. So I'm interested, um, you know, the more recent SDC folks, if, if you all could kind of. Uh, recap how you got involved with the group, you know, what the culture was, what the recruitment was like, and what sort of drew you in. Sure. So uh, I joined the team in 2012 as a freshman. Um, and my the way I joined was how I think most pushers end up joining our org is I had a friend who was on the team who said, hey, do you want to come push? We need more pushers. And I said, sure. Um, and I almost quit after the first day because it's really, it's it's awful. It's cold. It's early. I had no idea what was going on. They, uh, the, there was a lot happening the first day, and so they accidentally forgot me on a hill, and I didn't know I was supposed to come back. So it was like, overall, it was just terrible. Um, and if if roles had not gotten canceled the next day, I'm pretty sure I would have quit. But roles got canceled the next day because it was too cold, so that gave me a week to to recover. And then you know I was was hooked from from that point on. Um, mostly just because it was ridiculous and fun and uh, I liked the people on the team. But yeah, I mean, honestly, the way most pushers joined the team is, you know, you just had a friend who either recruited you to join or others wanted to check it out. So I joined at the same time as Edward Cow, 
um, who ended up being one of our push captains and an 18 pusher and ended up being sweepstakes chair. But yeah, the two of us lived uh, in Stever two our freshman year. And by my senior year, I would say, I don't know, we probably had 12 pushers on the team who were all from that floor. It's really just, you recruit your friends. When we talk to people, we would say, you know, if you have friends who might be interested, go and recruit them. It's very different for drivers, mechanics, and, and pushers, what our you know, recruitment approaches. Uh, drivers, I think it's pretty obvious because you gotta, you gotta find the people who can fit. Pushers, we just kind of need numbers most of the time because we have enough drivers that we need to fill out teams. And so we need people to join. And if we find five fast men's pushers and women's pushers, then you know we kind of just lucked into it and I hope we hold on to them in future years. Mechanics, it's a little bit a little different. I'm going to everyone's zone, so I hope that's okay. <laughs> but, Go for it. I'll let everyone else talk about their bits. My, I'm really, <laughs> my entire time was spent really on the, the pusher end. Um, and I was always super excited, which is why I think I was made push captain, because for a lot of pushers, at least when I joined, it was kind of just a casual thing that people did. Some people joined because they just wanted like another social group. Other people did it as like an ex as a reason to work out. It was uh, very interesting when I joined because I remember the men's hadn't won the previous year. The women's had. Um, we were in the rivalry with Fringe, and I had no idea what was going on at any point. I was just having a great time. And when our, our men's and women teams won that first year, I just thought it was super easy, and that's how it would be forever. We were fortunate that that continued, but it was a whole lot harder than I realized, and I realized that very quickly. After race day, I was made a push captain for the following year, and I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I wouldn't say I actually had an idea about how to be a push captain until maybe spring of my junior year. I guess mine is is more similar to Jordan's than um, the others as well because I well I was very wary about Buggy, <laughs> ironically because um, my OC had warned me during orientation week that I was short, which I thought I knew, but she said you know because you're short, people are gonna come for you, and I was like okay, <laughs> right, and then like tabling started and you know she was right. And so I was kind of uninterested. Like I wanted to make freshman friends, you know, and I like didn't want to get, you know, I was super hooked in my high school um, activities and I was like at college, I'm going to try everything. I'm not going to get, you know, roped down by anything. Um, so I heard that like SDC was really intense and that I should join like a fun, cool frat team. And I was like, that sounds like accurate. But I was with a couple of friends once and someone on SDC was talking to them, talking to us, I guess about buggy and showing him videos and being like, Oh, isn't this so cool? And they were like, Annie, you should do this. It's so cool. And I was like, stop talking to me about this. So I just like gave this person my contact information because I wanted to leave. Um, but then I like wanted to try everything. So I was like, I guess I'll like meet with the head driver and see what she has to say. And then I was like, I guess I'll get in the buggy. Cause like, it'd be cool to say I fit in like SDC's buggies. And then I was kind of like, this buggy is comfortable. So, <laughs> Can't be true. I don't believe that. It, I, I have fallen thought... asleep so it's many comfortable. times. Yeah. Not while rolling. I should. <laughs> yeah. It all went downhill from there. They say. Hey. Oh my gosh. Love that. Love <laughs> I said it. I don't even regret it. That, that honestly, that could be an all right name. Big for the, fan. Uh, 
for the <laughs> podcast. It's all downhill. It's all uphill. I don't know. We're this I love it. Um, I love it. One thing actually to, to go into there now that I'm thinking about driver experience, right? Because both of you were hesitant, right? Uh, to drive at um, the start or a little dubious. Obviously, there's not a lot that's super similar to it, even if you've, you know, did sports when you were younger. What was it like kind of that first time getting in a buggy, um, moving around there? Like, to me, I don't like tight spaces necessarily. I feel like I'd freak out, but I'm interested, you know, your kind of first impression was and what made you think, yeah, let's let's keep doing this. The first time they invited me to get in a buggy, I was like, thanks, guys. Thanks so much for inviting me. Like, I, I'm not going to fit in there. <laughs> like, I was like, there's no way I'm going to fit in there. And the first buggy I got into actually was Rage. That was the buggy. They gave me a nice spacious buggy to get into. And I was very wrong. I definitely fit into Rage. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I think it was because I wanted to do something unexpected for, for myself. I was like, you know what? why do I have, like, maybe it's time, like, maybe it's time to do something a little bit nuts. I don't know. And I definitely fit. And I was like, well, let's, let's go for this. Let's, let's see what it would be like to roll. Yeah. My first capes was pretty claustrophobic. Like when they closed me up for that, like in the room, I was kind of like, whatever, I could fit. This is fine. And then Mm -hmm. like, they put me on the sidewalk and they closed me up and they were (laughs) like, okay, Annie, are you ready? And I think I was like, uh, and they were like, what was that? And I was like, I think, and they were like, uh, okay, we're going to go. And then they just sort of went, but I was like about to hyperventilate. I was like, so panicked at capes, but then, you know, I stopped and I could see it was fine. And then it was fine. And then rolls again, my first rolls, I was kind of stressed, especially because there was another new driver. She didn't have a great sense of depth perception. We realized later, I think. But so she made it look really hard, like double bagged. Like, but I was also kind of went into it with like a, you know, this is college sort of thing. I was like, I probably can't die at this speed, you know? <laughs> so, like, I'll just drive until I crash and then that'll probably, uh, you know, emotionally break me and then I'll quit, you know? <laughs> that was like, that was exactly how I went into it. I was like, as soon as I crash, <laughs> that'll be it. But until then, it'll be fine. And, you know, it was easy the first time. I was like, this wasn't so bad. It's very slow. And then, and then I got over the claustrophobia. But I definitely did feel that for the first little bit. Yeah, the, the capping up, the capping up is something to get used to. But yeah, the, the first few rolls are really slow. Like I, it sounds like you feel the same way. It was not intimidating. I was like, that, this is fine. Like I'm just rolling down the street. Like this is pretty slow. Right. And then uh, Camilla missed uh, one also know your, uh, uh, your kind of initial experience then with, with SDC. Did. I guess I'm kind of an odd card. I, I didn't join during the heavy recruitment season. So I wasn't like on the lookout for any buggy teams. Um, Annie was my doormate. Uh, so <laughs> I just remember I was in the friend's room one night and then she like charged into this room. And she asked for my friend's name and we're like, she's right here. <laughs> what do you want? And then <laughs> Annie walks back out like, this is super awkward. And she walks back in and then said that she wanted to recruit my friend as a driver. <laughs> and then <laughs> my friend really, really didn't awkward. want to. <laughs> yeah, they never meant to recruit me. But uh, 
my friend really didn't want to go as a driver, but you know, I was like a freshman and like super up for anything. So in order to get her to try to do something fun, I was like, I'll go be a mechanic if you're going to be a driver. So there wasn't really anything that like choosing a team per se, or like what was it about SDC that made me want to join them specifically. SDC found me via Annie. Aww. So... Um, I'm trying to anti-recruit Camilla. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I was really like just kind of trying to get Maggie. And then I said, you know, I was like, Camilla's like, yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, I don't think you know what you're signing. Like, it's not easy you just do it. Like, you're signing up for like a, a lifestyle. And she was like, yeah, I really think I could throw myself into something. And I was like, are you confident about what you're saying? <laughs> And she it's did. All part of your plan. Yeah. <laughs> I did. We actually I mean, started as mechanics together. It was a very good time. And that's actually probably what made me say, like, honestly, the first, uh, if I didn't have any, like, being a mechanic with me, I probably would have quit as, like, a, as a new mechanic. <laughs> it was a kind of intimidating atmosphere at first. Um, but then you realize everyone's just kind of, like, really crazy about buggy, and you just got to get crazy about it, too. Right. Um, I guess I didn't say that, that I did that for small period of time yeah but. so mm -hmm. that's just how I joined and then after my first race day I was like yeah, things kind of fun you know like staying <laughs> up until like you know well getting up at like 4 a.m and staying through the sunrise and just like rolling buggies down the hill like that's one way to build friendships with people that first race day is addicting like that was definitely what hooked me the first race day gets you hooked obviously there's a lot of work up until then you know what, what sort of is what kind of is sdc's culture in terms of development of bringing in new people and sort of that philosophy um it's just interesting to me to hear the spectrum of you know some of the more secretive uh some of the more collaborative but <laughs> how would you classify it without giving away too many trade secrets you mean like how do we bond as a team or I mean, even just, for example, talking with some PICA guys, people can't even get into like certain parts of the buggy room till they're juniors, even if they're high up mechanics, like they are a lockdown, like Pentagon level security <laughs> crap. Others, you know, something like an apex, right? They're like, everybody's here. We're collaborating, you know, everyone spit out ideas. I guess kind of also the intent behind the question is you don't, have as much success as you all have in my opinion without a really good program of bringing in new people making them feel welcome teaching them skills getting them to be dedicated and trying to get to what the secret sauce is within that culture that allows for kind of that culture of excellence yeah um i would say it's a very delicate balance um, between how much, uh, you know, trust you should give someone and also uh, just, you know, how, how much you should try to keep as a, you know, quote unquote, trade secret for your team. Um, but I guess like as a freshman, that enticed me more than, you know, threw me off. Um, I could tell the seniors weren't, you know, they weren't like trying to keep things from me or anything. It was just like, as I learn more skills, I know that more will be revealed to me. And you know, it's kind of exciting. It's like, oh, there's, this, there's like a secret behind this curtain. And, you know, once I get to it, once I 
you know, learn enough things, I could figure out what that is. So in a way, it was fun. And I, it was a little intimidating at first because of the culture. But like, once you get to know the people, like, I, it ends up being just, I mean, everyone's a little strict, a little wary at first. But I wouldn't say it's anything scary or anything like that. It sounds like a video game. You got new skills and, and you unlock yeah. new challenges. Kind of. I mean, also, I heard you use the word like learning a lot. And I, I think a lot about, I mean, now this is being a number of years removed, kind of reflecting back on the experience, like teaching and learning, I felt like was a really big part of the experience the younger students, if everything's going well, are kind of apprenticed by the older students and on, on all mm-hmm. the factions of the team and people learn actual skills, whether they be skills related to their major leadership skills, kind of the full gamut. So that's kind of exciting if people are looking to learn through their extracurricular activities. I think those are the types of students that maybe really enjoyed this experience, at least for me. I feel like I got a lot out of it in terms of learning as well. What really touched me as well is just, you know, how much the the upperclassmen cared about you, not just like how you're doing your buggy, but also I would get asked how was my course load, whether or not I felt mm-hmm. like things were a little too stressful, if there was anything that could help me like outside of buggy to help get things better. So it's this like slow buildup of this feeling of camaraderie. Like I always feel like there's someone backing me up. Like there's this team backing me up, not just in buggy, but everywhere else in life. Yeah. When I started, the drivers weren't particularly close. Like we drove together and we talked during roles and like that was great. But like, I didn't have as much of that, like, team bonding thing and then like one day a mechanic asked me to get lunch in this really formal way like are you free Wednesday at this time and this time or this time and this time or like you know like that and I was like great I'm it kicked off the team I've been spinning a lot I knew this was coming it's fine you know and then it turns out that like they already kind of had an inkling that I might be head driver in the future and they didn't want to lose me because I wasn't very involved with the team as like um, a social member so they wanted to kind of like socialize with me a little bit more and so I like in that conversation just like kind of casually decided to start to become a mechanic for a bit because I wanted to get more involved I like was hooked but had no outlet kind of (laughs) (laughs) Um, so then I did that for the rest of my freshman year um, until I became head driver and like kind of wanted to focus on that but I think that it's not just the driving or like you know the being a mechanic or pushing like you could run track you know like until you have your first race day you don't have like that adrenaline you know like you're like the the drug of it necessarily it's like the people themselves that keep you involved well drivers have the adrenaline of driving that's different but you know (laughs) right so jealous it's definitely interesting because i know like we're obviously a team that's known for having our trade secrets and we've been very successful with it and i remember when i joined as someone who didn't know or care about buggy and just did it as a favor to a friend. And I was a pusher and pushers on our team usually don't know as much as pushers on other teams who might pull double duty as a mechanic and a pusher. I remember when I joined and people would say, Oh, that's great. You started buggy. Like what team are you on? And I'd say SDC. And I'd immediately get this visceral reaction from folks uh-huh. of like, <laughs> why would like, why would you join in them? Like you don't even get to help mechanic. And I was like, I don't want to help mechanic. That's what, like, this is, you're selling me on this. Uh, and then they'd be like and they'd be like well do they even let you in like the tent at rolls or in the buggy room and I was like why do I need to go in there I'm pushing like I don't I didn't understand what all the questions I got were about and in later years as people joined and they'd ask questions I could definitely 
like I could see where it was coming from. I was an exception because I never had an interest. Like I, <laughs> I've been in the buggy room and I hate it. I never want to go in. It was interesting when new members joined our team uh, from the pusher perspective and they had questions about the secrecy and things like that. And I was like, look, honestly, you can ask all you want. I know absolutely nothing. If you ask any of the mechanics, you're probably not going to learn anything. If you want to get involved, you can be a mechanic and that's like your way in if you really care. If you're just casually asking, then like really you're going to need to learn to like learn to push your hills. Like I, I don't have time to, to help you with your conspiracy theories. It was definitely an interesting transition because I went from not knowing anything about buggy and people asking me like all these things to kind of understanding the buggy culture and being caught up in it and like seeing new people join who were very interested in learning our secrets. Yeah, it's not that a CC says that if you if you can't be a pusher, if you're going to be a pusher, you can't be a mechanic. I just want that to be clear. For the past three years, uh, Boyal, a great push captain from SDC, who was also one of the main forces among the mechanics. So it's definitely in the recent years, there's been this, uh, this, this rise in interest, yeah, trend for being both a mechanic and, and a pusher. As a head mechanic perspective, I didn't personally recommend it because I'm always worried that they're gonna, you know, overload themselves with way too many things. Um, they handled it just fine. I always thought that the people who did more than one job on the team, like a driver mechanic or a, you know pusher mechanic, or we had, we actually had a couple pusher drivers, like they were so valuable because they could like translate you know, between like mechanic speak and pusher speak. Right. And, yeah. you know, cause sometimes it's like the pushers are upset because like, oh, I thought I was pushing a certain buggy today and I'm not. And like, what's going on? Like, why, why is this happening? And the mechanics a lot of the time just brush it off as like, not your problem. But like when you have somebody that's on both sides there, they can like provide the clarity, it helps communication a lot. It, it helps bring the team together a lot better. Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely does. And I think I, I did a poor job showing like what the communication was like, because during roles, everyone's so busy with their job. It's hard to like, like you, you have time to catch up. But when the roles are actually going, everyone needs to be in a certain spot to make sure like everything is safe. And people are where they need to be. Um, so it's definitely like, you just kind of need to focus on your job a lot during, during roles. But there's absolutely like, after roles, you know, I would always stay and chat with pushers. And if they had questions about things, like we would answer it as much as we could. Sometimes I didn't have information to give. I don't, I never felt like anything was being kept hidden from me. And when I was on the team, which I think always surprised people, I was honestly there because I was having fun with the people who were around me. Um, and I really enjoyed being part of the team. I think other people had a very negative view of the team because it wasn't a culture that they would have wanted to be a part of after having experienced another team. When I joined, I think there was a lot of like bad press about SDC from other teams because it was just a very different culture from what other people had. There was kind of a reputation and that, you know, I think had shifted over that period. And, and you even said earlier, right, you didn't expect, you know, to win that many years in a row, but you were and there's some pressure with that but also just contrasting some of these interviews as i do more of them a lot of other times it's kind of like well we were you know a team will say we were chasing pico we were chasing spirit whatever it may be it seems like sdc is fairly internally focused on success in terms of right you know there's obviously were some battles with pico but to me, it sounded like it was never really about Pika or Fringe. It was just, how do we 
be the best SDC. Do you kind of agree with that notion over time? Or do you feel like there were rivalries in there? Or what was sort of that relationship with the larger community? Well, I'll say when I joined in 2012, it was very much like we need to beat Fringe because there had been that rivalry with Fringe for the past few years. Our men's team had lost to Fringe. We took second, third, and fourth in the men's the previous year, but not first. There was definitely pressure to beat Fringe. And then I would agree with you in the future years, we were internally focused because I would say we were trying to beat the 09 team. We wanted our own record. Yeah, I mean, I think we viewed Pika as like the main competition from the outside but i never like i didn't even know about the fringe rivalry someone told me about it not from our team like someone on social fringe was like oh yeah we're supposed to hate you guys and i was like really why (laughs) (laughs) yeah that kind of died down by the time you guys joined some general animosity towards our team like just a couple weeks ago i met somebody who went to sdc or sorry went to cmu (laughs) i'm like super messed up um went to cmu (laughs) and was in SIGUP and someone he was with recognized me and said she did buggy well then I said I said it's for SDC and he said you know SDC sucks you know and I was like you didn't even do buggy but um, that was weird because I've been out of college for a bit now that's pretty odd that's a pretty interesting experience <laughs> it's nice to hear every once in a while you know uh, you know SDC sucks it's like ah oh, good times I, I think you hit the nail on the head, though, Will, with the uh, the sort of internal focus there. Um, at least, you know, b- back in my day, um, the mentality. Our day. Was, our day. Yeah, our day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're both. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna speak for you, Michelle. <laughs> okay, fine. You're dead. Um, back in our day, it was definitely this mindset of we want to be the fastest, mm-hmm. um, the fastest that we can be, but ideally the fastest and also win. Sometimes you're the fastest and you don't win. But when your goal is to be the fastest, you can survive that, that sort of situation. Um, yeah. And I think, I, I think it's a, a strong mentality that really supported us through a lot. Um, it supported us through some hard times. It's always sort of been there it's like what can we do best somebody else also (laughs) does really well fine but what how can we be better I I think that that definitely resonates with me it was it was less about beating a specific team and more about beating ourselves okay last year we made xyz mistakes so how are we going to do better this year and I think honestly that shows like that's we're competing against ourselves and I will say the competing against ourselves was at least in my sophomore, junior, senior year was like crushing in terms of the pressure. Basically, we were competing against the people who were our, our, our own alumni and were supporting us. We felt like we had to win because the expectation was, well, if other teams aren't doing well, there's, there's no reason you shouldn't win. And I know I had very strong feelings every year that we were definitely going to lose. I would talk about it with like our, our heads like, well, we're probably going to lose because of this, this and this and this other team looks good. It was definitely very stressful and every year we won was great but then you'd also think about well we still didn't get close to the record we didn't beat the record and that's really what we're working towards every year in order to set a record everything has to go perfectly which means that like everything needs to be set with the buggy you need a great driver you need pushers who actually show up and are dedicated and well trained and you never you never know who any of those people are going to be we took steps to make sure everyone was prepared I know on the pusher sh- pusher side, everyone, no matter what team you're on, got the same training. You got 
the same coaching on transitions, how not to DQ, what's a good shove off. You got trained no matter who you were because one, we wanted all of our teams to be successful, but two, you never know who was going to help you set the record, which I think made us stronger as a team, but it was definitely a lot of pressure. Annie and Camilla, I don't know if you, if you felt the same or if that was just me and my own anxieties. But. I wasn't quite as anxious. <laughs> um, Ugh, must have been nice. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I'm more of an optimistic type. Honestly, I, I get the pressure of the whole, um, I mean, the mentality of like, let's just go as fast as we can. Um, that's definitely something that perpetuated through the years and that we hold very close and dear. You know, I also didn't want to give everyone too, too much pressure. So it's also like, as long as we did our best to go as fast as we did, I think we, we did a good job. It depended on the year, if I was optimistic, I guess. like. <laughs> Uh, like my freshman year I wasn't a team but that was like the closest year I'd ever seen until um, last year and that was like crazy so I think that's the like like going in having seen that race day I was just like okay everything is fleeting and we barely have this (laughs) so like then my sophomore year I went in thinking it would be point like three something seconds away from everyone else like that's what I was expecting Um, I wasn't expecting what happened at all so, like that year, I, I had a lot of pressure, I guess. Like, I was really stressed uh, about winning and beating the other teams um, because I felt like there was a lot riding on me as um, a young person, I suppose. And, like, everything else was clearly in line. Like, we had really good pushers. The weather was going to be nice. Like, our mechanics had everything. Like, they were, they, were, like they, they were a machine, you know. Like, everything was really good. Our buggy was nice. Like, I fit in it, you know. So like everything kind of seemed like it was in place. So it felt sort of felt like I was the one who could break it. Um, <laughs> so that was a lot. And then um, <laughs> the second day since like the first day in 2016, our women are de- women DQ'd. So then the second day I was like much more focused on, like we all kind of agreed it would be better to not break the record again than it would like we, we needed to just take home a trophy. Like we couldn't break a record and then go home with no trophies that made absolutely no sense so we were sort of like that was the goal for the second day just to like get through it because I was like of course that's what's going to happen and then 2017 was the year that I felt sort of relaxed <laughs> um, Interesting. Because, because I had you already better, had one in your pocket or more because I had a better understanding of what was happening <laughs> like I knew we weren't point three seconds away from the other teams I knew that we were facing our own record um I knew that we had the same caliber of things I felt more confident that I wasn't gonna destroy it so I felt just a little bit more secure Mm. um it was almost (laughs) anticlimactic this is so this is so starkly different from, from going into 2009 I love it it's so interesting because as I'm listening to you guys talk, like we had nothing to lose because all we had done was lose the men's. So there was only like, it wasn't about losing the win. It was about like, it was like just abandon everything and just go as hard as you can and like see what happens. <laughs> like, I mean, cause without that fear of losing something you already have, there's some kind of, 
there was there was maybe some kind of unique freedom there going into the 2009 races like we we hadn't won that men's trophy so there was that pressure didn't exist like from an external standpoint so that sounds pretty tough i i happened to join the year that the streak started for the men's side and it was really continuing for the women's until my senior year we had never lost either the men's or the women's race and so every year it felt like we had to win or else the entire year was a failure mm-hmm. and wow in 2015 when we finally did lose the the women's race which we were we kind of knew ahead of time we were going to lose the women's race and the men's race we didn't really feel confident I, I I just remember when we did win, it felt like such a relief and also such a failure at the same time because we hadn't swept for the first time in you know four years, which for other teams, it was great. And it honestly was really great to see uh, CIA win for the women's in 2015. And it was really great to see another team win because it's good for the sport of buggy. I just felt like I had let down the whole team. And I, I definitely was a terrible feeling that I never wanted to repeat. Team on that like, high note. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring it back up. 2016 was pretty crazy because, like, I don't know how many of us expected to break a record, but, I like, yeah, we were really just trying to win and, like, keep the dynasty going. Like, I didn't see that coming at all. And in my head, it wasn't possible. Like, it was Michelle Mirabella. Okay. Like, she was, like, an idol. I, t- I said her full name every single time I referred to her. And it was <laughs> Like, and then she called me after we won, like she video called me and I was like, it's Michelle Mirabella. And then I almost fainted. It was dramatic. (laughs) That was the best gift you could have given us, you guys. (laughs) Having your own team break the record was absolutely the best. Like that is, that is what I wanted. So thank you for that. That was amazing. That was beautiful. So proud of you guys. Oh, shucks. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I did want to ask you know what that was like seeing your record broken but that you yeah. it was excellent that was, that was the only way i wanted to see it broken like that like was the way <laughs> oh in person in person would have been better sorry i was many many countries away that that that's the way it was supposed to happen like if it was gonna fall it, i wanted it to fall by my own team so that was and it's it's still malice guys I only ever pushed Malice on race day because I moved with Malice from B team to A team. And my last year was when Annie broke the record in Malice. So quite frankly, I feel like all of our spirits are involved in that record. So. And then the jerks immediately went and broke it the next year. So I had no time to enjoy my record. <laughs> oh, we talk about that all the time. <laughs> I say I pushed for five years. I say from the start of the streak until when we finally break the record. I finally leave, and then you guys are just like, oh, yeah, we broke the record. You're no longer relevant. Yeah, Camilla and I are pretty mean to Jordan about it. (laughs) You're hanging out with a couple of record breakers. I wonder how that feels. Oh, that's (laughs) true. Hey, he broke a record. It's just not the – Record holders, I guess. Yeah, record (laughs) holders is the the proper term. (laughs) Yeah, Um, true. Fair, fair. Interesting within that, Annie, maybe to dig a little bit more, you said there was almost – no pressure. You said that 2017 year. Um, I remember the roads were really good, um, but was, you know, that kind of freeing also of just, Hey, no one's going to be close to us um, and just go out there and, and break it. Or was that the team's intention to kind of go further or, you know, what was the mentality of, 
I guess I would, I wouldn't say no pressure. I would probably never say that. Um, maybe I did say that, but I didn't mean that. <laughs> um, it was still like, I think it was just like, we came from a place of more knowledge. So like we, we definitely wanted to break the women's record. Like we were really focused on breaking our own records. That was like totally the plan that year. And we knew there were other teams. It just like, we, unless it, it kind of felt like an, unless I spun sort of thing, um, or like someone missed a shove, um, it wouldn't really be a problem. I wasn't yeah. sure, you never know. And like every once in a while we'd have a panic where I was like, oh, I don't know, that, oh, that looked really good from that other team. But um, <laughs> that was just me being, I worry, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we like really like set out that year to break a record or anything. Like that wasn't our goal, uh -oh. we still want to win. <laughs> But um, <laughs> not you. I, I mean, um, there was definitely some um, something about the women's races that year that we really wanted that trophy. Um, but I think also going into 2017, we were just all over more prepared as a team, I would say. Uh, we were a lot more nervous for 2016 because the team was a lot younger um, with not as strong of a foundation in both our we really only had like the drivers together and uh at least on the mechanic side we weren't um terribly prepared but come 2017 we had like a fantastic sophomore class of mechanics who were really able to support um all of the functions on race day behind the scenes and the push captains gave me like full confidence that they they knew exactly what the push team was doing and they've I've seen them practice over and over again, and well, Annie and I just talk all the time, so I know mm -hmm. I know she's fine all over there. So yeah, we we went into it feeling prepared and not really feeling like there was anything to be like too nervous about. I guess I, I mean I didn't expect like the race day to go like the way it is. I just remember the first the first time when I heard the record was broken by the women's team, I was just like delirious with like joy and you know jumping up and down kind of just like phase that it happened during that race day um but on the second day by the by the fourth time it happened I was just kind of like sitting in the truck guarding the truck and people ran down to me and was like we broke another record and then I was like really and Annie got out of the buggy and I was like oh hey good job <laughs> and I was like we hugged and that was that was it I, mean, I probably, I maybe still cried, but. Yeah, I think no, you, we still you cried. Did. We did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound right for me not to have been crying. I'm glad it was, I'm glad it was so calm for you guys because my, <laughs> my year didn't have a lot of mechanics left as the years went on. Like my senior year, we only had a few mechanics for my year and none of them had been super involved. And I think that's where a lot of the, the pressure came from is the mechanics the year below me had to step up a lot and so i like every, when i was in leadership everyone was kind of like doing things before they were really ready and so we definitely wanted to make sure with you guys that you didn't that you felt ready so I, i'm very happy that you felt confident and that like the team was a weld-oiled machine by then because uh, <clears throat> that was definitely something we conscientiously or consciously rather tried to do yeah, Thanks, Jordan. The, you know, 
I didn't do anything. You should, you should thank everyone else, though. <laughs> yeah, probably couldn't have happened without like all of the foundations that our alumni, our seniors, like set in place for us. It was really just like the right place, the right time, and everything seemed to came together. One topic kind of with that success we've touched on a little bit, but we didn't talk as much about sort of the the perception on campus, right? You know, Annie, you mentioned, right? They say, oh, SDC, SDC sucks, right? You kind of, you know, mm-hmm. went from the, the underdog to the evil empire, um, if if you will. Uh, how does that feel? kind a of a big statement. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I think I think some people in the buggy. I'm not saying it. I'm, you know, people I mean, you said it. You said it. it. We, 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 are, said it. we know you never would say that word. I am paraphrasing uh, as a journalist uh, things <laughs> I, I have see. heard. This is bad. Can, can we go with Empire of Malice rather than Evil Empire? <laughs> I'm saying, right? That's so good. I'm here for that. Malice. I can support that. Yeah. Um, but right, you, you kind of have that reputation now. How does it, uh, obviously, you know, a lot of great people involved in SDC, but how does it kind of feel to carry that around and, and have that reputation? I think that's that's oh. a tough question because all of us are alumni, so mm-hmm. I, I we're not the ones carrying it around on campus, actually. I feel I would be very curious to hear how the current students in the organization are navigating um, if that's, I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, that that is the vibe. Um, I've heard former students say that as well. Um, well, I will say, when I was a student, we knew that was a reputation we had, and very, at least people who were in leadership on the team very deliberately tried to be good ambassadors for the team. Mm-hmm. And whenever we had people who we felt were not good ambassadors, we definitely pulled them aside and talked to them about it. I know something I at least addressed with folks on the team to say like look this is this is the perception that people have so when you're around campus like you're representing the team and people look for a reason to not like you or look for a reason to like use what you say against us um, or use it to like try to steal pushers from the team so like basically be a good person (laughs) Uh, and like that that'll that's all we can really do at that point. Everyone's going to hate people who win. I don't like the New England Patriots because they win all the time and it's super annoying. <laughs> so, like, I get it. And, I've, and I, I never had any issues with that. But we, we weren't going to be jerks about it. A mildly different perspective. Um, I was also, I guess, like, my big two things in college were this and I was in a sorority. And so I knew I, like, met a lot of the fraternity guys through that venue. And it was interesting because like some of them just knew who I was and some of them didn't and then learned. But like there were just a lot of interesting interactions. Like one time I was at SIGUP for some event, right? And their buggy room was just open and I like saw a buggy and then they like, <laughs> like just I just looked in that direction and I saw someone look at me, look around and like close the doors and then look at me again. And they were like, nah, I was like, what? <laughs> I'm just standing here. <laughs> you invited me. Um, or like things like that. Um, we did Greek sing with Pike my senior year. And like, that was, I mean, you know, the, like the Pike, uh, I definitely felt the like Pike really want to destroy me vibe, you know, as I was doing this thing with them. Um, and then like my paper plate award from, from the, from the Pike brothers was we really tried to hate you, but we couldn't. 
which was nice, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I got a lot of jokes about it, but like everyone was pretty nice about it. They just kind of like, if we were at a party after we had a few drinks, they would try to get me to talk about, you know, (laughs) STC secrets or like try to convince me to join their team in some like legally binding way that I couldn't get out of (laughs) as a joke. Um, But things like that. Um, the Pike guys that I think we made a bet at one point about getting a tattoo of each other's logos, I think, depending <laughs> on who won that year, which I didn't hold them to. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> that was very yeah. kind. That was kind. <laughs> it came up a lot, <laughs> but it was always pretty joking. People were always like, oh, we want to hate you. And I was like, oh, who doesn't? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I don't know. I don't like to be hated. Nobody likes to be hated. I, I think hate hate is a strong word. Okay, now I'm quoting a song. Um, but that's what I mean. No one really like. Nobody really. I think people, when they say they hate something, at least something fun like this, hopefully they don't mean the true meaning of that word. But um, I think like a good, at least something I try to do is like lift up the successes of other teams, at least try to do that now as an yeah. alum and celebrate like we just talked about how great it was that CA won that year um that SDC didn't win and like you know I think it's really important to talk about how other teams are doing especially for the sport so I hope that other teams can see that that's something that we like to do we like to support your successes as well so I mean it wouldn't be a sport if there weren't other teams out there yeah and building off of what Michelle said she's exactly right we, we all really love Buggy and therefore want to see it succeed. And so, you know, like Edward Cowell, Camilla were stepped up to be sweepstakes chairs um, rather than like Eddie missed out on the chance to be a part of the record breaking team because he felt it, it was more important to be a part of sweepstakes mm-hmm. because, you know, sweepstakes needed folks in leadership. Um, mm-hmm. And now, like Jeremy and Mike Darcy, who's one of our former head mechanics, are heavily involved in the BA, excuse me, the BAA. So I think our team definitely sees that, like, if we just focus internally, then Buggy, which we absolutely love, you know, won't, it, it, it's not as strong as, as if we actively participate in the community. So I think Michelle, you know, hit the nail on the head with, you know, we want to celebrate other teams who want to celebrate the sport. Um, and if, if our team wins, it's awesome. And if another team wins, it's great because you see people who worked so hard all year mm-hmm. and that pays off for them. That like camaraderie is definitely like, I think in the past, it's weird for me to think about, it, I guess, like, I think in the past teams actually hated each other and I can't like actually wrap my head around that. Like everyone is, it's, everyone seems to be sort of joking these days i guess um like we've had very good relationships with different teams like different years um like friendly collaborative relationships um in a way i think that's yeah good because we all i mean we can't have a buggy competition without teams and i I do think in in some ways that is true what you said um (laughs) through doing these i think one thing honestly the buggy alumni association helped even through just putting more stuff out there and kind of once these things that were secret and images that, you know, were meant to be locked up and data that was guarded is kind of out there and, you know, 
nothing awful happened. I, I think culturally it, it made somewhat of a shift to everyone being a little bit more open and collaborative. And, you know, I think even, uh, and he won't mind me saying this, some of the people most upset by some of the dynastic tendencies you all have are, you know, alums from those older days, like an Andy Bordick or whatever, right? When, <laughs> you know, there really was that intense pride and rivalry and hatred. And it's been interesting doing these and hearing some of those stories of the crazy lengths, you know, people would go to competitively. And maybe this is even further a referendum on millennials versus uh, Gen X that we don't need to get into. But I, I, I do think there are, you know, elements of that where it is kind of more of a collective buggy community. And it may even be too just historically buggy isn't as big as it may have been, you know, proportionally to campus so that, you know, buggy people are buggy people first. I'm just waxing poetic at, at this point. Um, no, I, I, think you're, I think you're totally right, Will, because like one of the things I'm most excited for this year is the fact that there are going to be new teams rolling. Like that's that was the most excited that I'd been about like news all year for Buggy because the fact that more people want to get involved and compete is awesome because uh, Jeremy and I uh, and everyone involved in Buggy love looking at the stats. Jeremy and I are both weirdos and keep records of things, and I I, have I remember yeah the bo- both of us have our own spreadsheets for this stuff. So it's but I remember looking at like the number of teams over time and being very disappointed that you know the the number of teams in the past few years is half of what it was at its peak so the fact that more people want to get involved is super exciting and i guess kind of looking to the future in that way two topics i'm interested in one it is what 10 years in a row now on the the men's side and women it's something eight. like eight okay my bad eight yeah and women it's, it's something like streak, well Eight streak. All I ever That's wanted right. in life. Yeah. Um, something like 10 out of 13 years going back to 2007. You know, pretty incredible record on, on both sides. But as we've seen kind of within the sport, things can, can change quickly. Um, you know, what do you think of the prospects of SDC getting another eight? What systems do you think are in place to make that happen and kind of where do you see uh, the field at large, I guess, going from here, kind of sitting atop, you know, as the, uh, the empire of malice, if you will, uh, where, what do you, how do you prognosticate <laughs> about the future? Yeah. I love that. I kind of love it. Like I want to continue to see SDC do well and execute well and continue to improve and continue to be a competitive team and a part of, you know, a, a big part of buggy. I do not want to see our team win another eight years in a row because that would be <laughs> terrible for the sport. Like, I yeah. think we can all admit that if it's like, you know, that long, people are just going to pack up and say, this is stupid. Like, what, what are we even doing? You know, there, there needs to be some real competition. I think, I think we might be at a really good point right now, though, you know, like looking at race day 2019, which even just from a narrative standpoint was one of the best, most interesting race days. You know, it's, it's funny because back in 
2008, right, when Pico was going for their their seventh streak to beat um, ATO's win streak record. Like, we beat them on day one, and then they beat us on day two by, you know, less than a fifth of a second to to take their streak. And then the exact opposite happened in 2019, you know, when, when we were going for our eighth in a row. Like, they beat us on day one. Um, they beat us bad on day one. It was like a second and a half. I think, I think that whole afternoon I was like driving aimlessly around Oakland. Like, I, I, I think I just <laughs> kind of was, was wondering like what, like, I, you know, we, we were so close and I, I didn't know what to do, do with myself. Um, it was, it was weird. It was scary, but then, you know, we pulled it out and you're, you're cutting out, but we got the sentiment and it was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I will agree with Jeremy that I, I don't know that any of us want to see FCC win another eight in a row at, for the reason he stated, but I will also say given how hard it was to win in one given year, there's no way like it, it every year we were, it, it requires a great team, but also a lot of luck and that luck just doesn't hold forever. Like 2015 was, probably the, the closest we got to breaking the, the streak on the men's side. Um, and we just got lucky. Um, and on the women's side, you know, we saw how in, you know, 2016, we had an unbelievably fast team, but it's just a minor, a minor hiccup at the end of the race and can cost you the whole thing. So it, it, it takes so much luck that I would be astounded if, the streak continued over the next few years. That doesn't mean I'm not going to root for the team because um, I want to see them succeed on their own and do great things, but it, it's, it always takes a lot. Not only that, but like if the team were listening, I, I would want them to, you know, not think that like, like when we were going through it, you know, I felt like there was so much pressure and not just like from the people yeah. on my team, but from like the alumni who'd gotten us this far, you know, and like all the people who, cared about that and like some of these alumni bring their families and I was just like there are so many people like we would be letting down by by losing this right now not that like I would ever wish you know the feeling of losing it on any team but I hope that they would know that we know it's a sport and it can be mm -hmm. lost and it's not anybody's fault you know it just it just means that it was a good game <laughs> um here's to that yeah <laughs> Well, this is great stuff. I think we're we're getting pretty close to the end. Um, so I, I'm just going to throw this this last one out there, which I think is fun and just kind of cool to collect from everyone. You know, now that you have had some distance from being a part of Buggy and our alumni, um, you know, what are the ways you you see the sport having impacted your life? If you could kind of summarize it or, or boil it down. Um, you know, what is buggy meant to you? I just want to mention I'm wearing an SDC sweatshirt right now, so <laughs> it's kind of everywhere in my life. My wardrobe, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think in some ways it's like my best story, <laughs> you know, um, not that I think I've peaked or anything and, I, you know, not like I talk about it all the time, but like every <laughs> once in a while a fun fact will come up, you know, or I'll just mention it, you know, out of decide like oh well you know I didn't go out too much in college because I did a sport on the weekend like people ask and it's just like hard not to like explain it in a way that's not too cryptic that people want to know what I'm talking about 
um, like at this point, my friends know to say 20216 whenever I'm like rushing somewhere, <laughs> which is weird. Because uh, I said it once and one of them memorized it. Anyway, like in some ways it's that. It's this thing I can always look back at and be like, that was so cool. Um, and in other ways, it's given me a lot of valuable friendships. Like Camilla can never leave me, you know? And, um, <laughs> Uh, and in other ways, like kind of like Michelle touched on earlier, it really like, as, as being a driver, it really, um, you know, pushed me to do, to, to be more brave, you know, do more things. Like now, whenever there's something that feels like a lot, you know, I'll be like, well, I drove a buggy. So <laughs> that's, that's, you know, that's enough. And then I kind of just do the new thing, um, which is maybe hard to explain. But also, like, Will, your voice is burned in my brain. Like, every time you talk, I get an adrenaline surge, which wow. is weird. Um, <laughs> this, Sorry, this podcast been... has been a wild ride for... I was going to say, yeah, get ready for whatever. It has been. I'm waiting for countdown just constantly. <laughs> so that's what I guess I would summarize. Just... I, I, mean... I don't think an experience like Buggy ever really leaves you mm -hmm. when you've been as committed to it as all of us have it's I mean not just the you know the people from my team who are still my very best friends um you know like you you, you grow up your teenage years and stuff and you grow up in college but like I, I feel like buggy shaped me more than anything else yeah I was talking with um some students I used to work at Carnegie Mellon I was I was kind of trying to share with them how it's about so much more than what's right in front of them. And I hope I didn't sound like such an old person saying this, but it really shaped the trajectory of my life in terms of being able to build friendships, uh, cultivate leadership skills, um, really learn how far I could push myself toward achieving a goal. That was really incredible. But really also like going back to what Annie was saying before, the friendships, I mean, these are friendships for life. Like we hold each other's babies. We go to each other's weddings, um, both on the team. I get Christmas cards from people from other teams. I mean, it, it's really created a community for me in, in my adult life and uh, opportunities for mentoring younger people, um, creating networks, professional and personal. It's been a major part of, um, of my life and really defined my Carnegie Mellon experience. Yeah, and, and I'll echo what everyone's kind of said of how defining of an experience it was. I had the good fortune of being in a lot of different positions um, at, during my time at CMU, but I think being on the team and being a push captain was probably the most fun I had in any of those roles. And letting it go was really hard when I was still on the team for two years after I officially stepped down as a push captain because I just always wanted to be cheering and rallying folks and because I get so hyped up that to this day you know I, I have a, a like a YouTube playlist of my favorite races that I use when I go run on the treadmill because it gets me screaming at people to run faster and makes me want to run faster um, it's just for me it's always very motivating like I, I got a lot of leadership skills I'm, I made so many friends but it still to this day is just it helps me motivate myself in my everyday life. Um, so it's because I just think back to mm -hmm. how I would have tackled this if it was like a, a buggy issue and it kind of just gets my blood pumping. So it's, it, 
definitely it, it drives me for you know everything I do. It's an extraordinary opportunity and I really hope that the students that are currently participating are getting as much out of it as it seems like we all got out of it. Yeah, my little is driving SIGEP A this year, so I'm <laughs> oh, seriously through her. Wow, I'm putting my money on SIGEP this year then. Yeah, inter-team mm -hmm. friendships. Thanks for having us. I hope to see a lot Thanks of so I much. hope to see a lot of teams mm -hmm. break a lot of their own team records this year. Because that's mm -hmm. always my favorite thing is seeing which teams have broken their own records because sometimes they don't even know, but it's always fun to see. It would be super cool. Also, thanks, Will. Appreciate the roads it. Within the next eight hours. <laughs> right. That's very that would be nice. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for joining. Uh, see, SDC, they're really lovely, nice people, uh, even if they do win all the time. I uh, appreciate y'all so much for tuning in. Uh, thank you so much to all of our guests from SDC. Uh, been having a blast with this. Just update on kind of future of the series. Have a couple things in motion. Um, eventually going to get something up on RoboBuggy. We'll probably do two or three more episodes in this quote unquote season. Uh, and then from there, take a little bit of a break until next fall winter. Uh, as always, uh, if you want to chime in, give some feedback on the episode, go to our Discord, cmubuggy.org slash chat. Um, you can also suggest ideas for new topics, interviews, all of that stuff there. Um, thank you so much again to all of our guests here from SDC, uh, Rachel Schmidt and the Buggy Alumni Association. Uh, and to all of you, uh, we'll catch you next time on Shoot the Shit. Man, I'm pushing a buggy uphill five, and I'm hoping I don't take a nosedive. We were aiming for 203, we he wanted to make history. But if I miss the push, but we would get disqualified. But if I miss the push, but we would get disqualified. And yes, I missed the push bar, and we got disqualified.